Welcome to the Adoption Discovery Podcast. Your host, Bridget Badley, is the founder of AdoptionDiscovery.org, a national nonprofit helping people adopt for zero dollars and in less than nine months. Join us for real support, real help, and real answers to your adoption questions. Today we are joined by Julie Wasatsky, an, an attorney here in Georgia that's going to answer some questions for us and help us understand a little bit about facilitators. Welcome, Julie. Hi, Bridget. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day today. We just have a few questions. Um, we constantly are getting questions from, this is, this is a typical scenario. We'll have a family that will reach out to us and say, you know, I've been online looking. I found this organization online. It looks like it might be a facilitator. And they're going to help me do an adoption at a really great rate. It looks like they can match me pretty easily. Um, they guarantee they can match me, you know, with a child in a certain amount of time or whatever. So we always are hesitant, but we would like to get your information about facilitators. I know there's a lot of information that they should know before they move forward. So give me maybe a couple of pointers, a couple of things that we can share with them. Sure. I, I think that one thing that adoptive families need to look at is when they are looking at the cost of a facilitator, they need to look at what is the facilitator actually providing for that cost. Um, sometimes adoptive families are looking at the overall cost of an adoption. Let's say an agency wants to charge them $25,000, but the facilitator is willing to do this work for only $8,000. What the adoptive family needs to ask is what is the facilitator providing for that? Most of the time, a facilitator is just providing a match. And there's a lot of concerns around that, which I'll talk about in just a minute. But once the match is done, the facilitator just kind of pulls out and the adoptive family is on their own. They're looking at right. now they're looking at legal expenses. There may be an agency fee on top of the facilitator fee. So you may end up just just paying that fee that you thought was so affordable is now just an additional cost. So you may end up paying the twenty five thousand plus the eight thousand. Um, right, right. So it's like an a la carte, like you're really just taking a piece away from someone else and just doing that one piece with them. Yes, and whereas if you're working with an agency or, or a licensed attorney, they are there with you from beginning to end. You know, they deal with the termination of parental rights, they deal with the finalization of adoption, they have, they have um, procedures in place so that they're dealing and, and supporting you throughout the whole process and not just doing that one little piece. The, the biggest concern about facilitators, well, there are a lot of them. Um, one, of the, one of the main problems with facilitators is they aren't licensed in most states and there is no oversight. So there is nobody looking to see what is this person's education, what is their experience, what uh, procedures do they have in place to make sure that they are taking care of um, birth mother counseling, that the situations that they're identifying are, um, are valid and are, are, and are solid. Um, a lot of times facilitators, and, and there, I'm not saying that all facilitators are like this. There may be some good ones, few and far between, but, but you know, there, there's no oversight. So who is, who is licensing these people? Who is making sure that um, the procedures that they have are, uh, are, are going to lead to a successful adoption. With adoption agencies, 
um, they have to go through a rigorous licensing process where they have to show the licensing um, agency that they have certain procedures in place to identify birth mothers and, and birth fathers and to give those uh, birth parents the support and to make sure that this is a um, solid decision that they are making. And I think that, that can be a big problem with facilitators if they're identifying situations that may be a little shaky. Um, they may not have the, um, the resources, the staff in place to provide the birth parents with support they need to help them, to help everybody get to a successful end of this adoption. Right, and just like adoption agencies and lawyers have to be um, licensed or, um, you know, in they have to be affiliated with a certain state based on their licensing, right? Yeah. So facilitators have to go through the same thing. And if you're on the Internet, how do you know where, where and how that takes place with an agency or a facilitator? I mean, I, when you look online, it's just a big mass of people out there, and you don't know where they're located. Sometimes you can't even find what state they're in based on looking at maybe their contact us page. So how would you, I mean, what, what would you say would be cautionary there and why? Well, actually facilitators aren't licensed and aren't, don't have any um, licensing except I, I believe in Ohio and California there may be some oversight in those two states, but in most states there is no oversight of facilitators, so they aren't registered with any state agency and you can't, you can't find that about them. With an adoption lawyer, you can look at the state's um, state bar, and you can okay. also usually look and see if there's been any um, complaints against the lawyer or if there's been any um, problems with that lawyer. That should so that's another that's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. And the same with agencies that you can look, you know, and look and see. But with the facilitators. Um, there's no place that you can look and see, has this person um, had any complaints against them? Um, do they have any experience or education in this, um, in this area? And that's another problem is that the facilitators, there's nothing to stop them from just shutting down their office um, and starting up somewhere else. You know, they could, they could conceivably take your money and, and leave. So because of all this, there's, there are some states that have made facilitators illegal. Talk, can you speak to that? Sure, because Georgia is one of them. Um, Georgia is one of them and, and Tennessee also. And a big concern for adoptive families is that even if, say you, you live in Tennessee, but you use a facilitator in, in, a, in California where, you know, it's, it's, it's allowed, you could still be held criminally responsible in Tennessee because you're using a facilitator because it's illegal in Tennessee. And in Tennessee, it's actually a felony to use a facilitator. Wow, that would be a wake-up call, wouldn't it? It would be. It would be. <laughs> um, in Georgia, it's the penalty is, is not nearly as, as bad as that. Um, I believe it's you know a, a $100 fine or $500 fine or something like that. But still, the, the main concern for adoptive families should be, is the use of this facilitator going to jeopardize my adoption? That is a, a larger concern than uh, financial for most families because using a facilitator who may not know the laws of your, your state could cause problems, you know, down the road. For example, in Georgia, uh, we're not allowed 
the adoptive parents are not allowed to pay any um, birth mother expenses unless it's a legal or a medical expense. So if you are working through an agency, because there is that oversight, you are allowed to pay some birth mother expenses, but in a private adoption, you're not. But if you're using a facilitator, maybe in a state where it's okay to pay birth mother expenses, and you pay those as a Georgia resident, that could cause problems later on in your adoption because it's seen as um, an inducement to adoption, as if you're paying that that birth mother to let you adopt the baby. And that right. can cause problems. You have to disclose all of that to your court, and the court has to decide is if they'll approve the adoption or not. So there, that's a, a bigger issue to me with, with adoptive families than, than the financial, but the financial is also, you know, an issue of concern. And I think that's what draws people to this choice in the beginning is the financial when you're cruising online and it says, you know, we can do an adoption for um, $900 or for $3,000 or whatever, you're thinking, oh, well, if they can do the adoption for that amount, then that's a better choice because it looks from the front end and from the, from the website or the advertisement that they're doing the adoption for you, like they're matching you and you're going to be able to finalize. But when you back up, that cost, the costs start piling up much faster. Everything's a la carte. You're going to have to get an attorney. You're going to have to get a home study. Those things automatically cost things for other, you know, depending on how you do it. So I think when you're, when you're looking at your options at the first site, it may look like a better option. But once you start digging, it not only doesn't look like a great option, but it looks like it could be an illegal option depending on what state you're in, which is a little bit scary. I do know that there are some... Um, I was reading an article the other day about, uh, is it Texas, where they're now saying something about um, they don't want OBGYNs or pastors to look like facilitators because if they're matching people in the church or matching people in their practice, they could be crossing the line. Um, don't quote me on that. I'm not sure if it's Texas or not, but I think that was kind of the thing they were worried about is that they would be accepting funds or accepting a donation for um, this matching process, which is, you know, they're saying, no, that's not, that's not appropriate. So anything you can add to that? Well, I think that was a good, um, a good summary of, of that you did. Um, just under, I know under Georgia law that facilitators are forbidden to, um, to advertise for any placement situations. And I know that in Georgia, as attorneys, we have to be very careful that we don't look like facilitators um, because just of the nature of our business, we do hear of situations um, of birth families and adoptive families and, you know, trying to bring the two together. Now, one thing that sometimes clients have come to me about and they have um, people that they're not paying that have kind of introduced them. Now, I think that's less of a problem because you're not paying this person. This person is not acting as a paid facilitator. Um, they just happen to maybe be in a situation where they hear about a lot of, of birth mothers or um, a lot of adoptive parents and, and they can match them together. I think that's less of a problem. It's, it's more when you're paying, uh, paying your facilitator that it becomes an issue. I would encourage adoptive families to not use facilitators, <laughs> but if they want to look at, as you and I have talked about in, in other podcasts, Bridget, um, uh, it is a very emotional time, and, right. and there are people out there, unfortunately, who will prey on the emotions of others in order to have financial gain, and that's a very sad, sad statement about our world, but that's just the way it is. Um, 
So I think that adoptive families have to be very cautious. I, as a service to my clients, will sometimes read over contracts, and you can always have an attorney read over a contract for you and say, you know, what exactly am I getting here? Or you can read over the contract yourself because with the facilitators, you can quickly see that they are not providing um, very much for you. They are offering to match you, and that's it, usually. Um, they are not allowed to do anything else, and in you know, most states are not even allowed to do that. Um, right. So we've heard stories of, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I just, you know, and that can look very attractive that you can get matched in a short period of time. But again, going back to what we said at the beginning about the oversight and the programs in place for birth parents, you want to make sure that the match that you get is a solid match, that this right. birth parent has had any counseling they need, that they are sure about their decision is actually pregnant. It is actually <laughs> pregnant, exactly, because, you know, some of the questions you might want to ask are, you know, what happens if this adoption disrupts? Do I get any of my money back? Um, if When you refer me to another person and you kind of drop out of the situation, what am I required to do then and who's who's going to be taking care of me then? Right, right. I think a lot of the families that have called us with complaints about different situations that they've been in with facilitators or that they thought in the beginning, you know, they were, it was almost like they were promised right off the bat, hey, I can find, oh, oh yeah, you're a great candidate. I can find you somebody really quickly. I bet I can find you somebody within a couple of months. And then, or you get the opposite of, oh, it's going to be a while, but you need to go ahead and get in line. If you don't get in line now, it'll be really long. So it was kind of that back and forth emotional tug of do it now do it now um, but what they found is that they maybe they got matched immediately but the match wasn't a good match and you know birth mother bailed because she hadn't had any counseling she wasn't 100% sure she even wanted to do this and from the from the looks of it it was as if they found her on the internet they found the adoptive parents on the internet really nobody really did a lot of screening on either side to see who was really serious about anything and it was just a matter of you know here you go one to one and when it fell apart you know that can be heartbreaking for an adoptive parent that is you know really looking to do this and for a birth mom that is not really looking to do it it's just another day it's like you know well i just decided i didn't want to do it you know um, no, no counseling in place, which we always advise our families that even any professional that they hire that will be happy, having anything to do with the match should have some statistics on what their success ratio is. So, you know, out of all the people that you match, what is your success ratio? And the agencies that track it and offer that counseling for the birth mom and do some screening on the front end, they tout their percentage. You know, they're like, we're 90% or we're 98% or it's a pretty high percentage. But rarely do we see facilitators willing to do that. And one of the families told us that the facilitator said to them, well, you know, you were on the top of the stack. Well, now you're on the bottom of the stack. I have other clients. I'm going to match now. And then when I get back to you, basically you're going to go back into the rotation. So that was disappointing for them because they had already waited and then they had to wait again. So right. um, it, it's just, it just to me, it seems like Russian roulette. I mean, you just kind of are throwing it out there. It seems like a good from the, from the website. And the websites are great. You know, some of them have really enticing information that make you want to do it, you know. Right. And it, um, it doesn't take much these days to have a really great website. Right. Um, so <laughs> I think people need to remember that. Um, and it, there are a lot of complaints about facilitators. I know you've heard some. Um, I've heard some. Uh, 
and and supposedly the State Department even has has information on not using facilitators because they've received so many uh, complaints. And I think the problem, one of the problems, is just that some of the situations that they identify. Yes, you as you said, it may be identified quickly, but it's it could be a very risky and poorly investigated um, situation because they uh-huh. don't have. It may just be one person or two people doing this facilitating, and um, and really you're much better off with with an adoption agency, and it's in in the states like South Carolina where attorneys can serve as adoption agencies as well. Um, they are allowed to advertise, and and as like in Georgia, facilitators aren't allowed to advertise um, for birth mothers, and so it's just kind of word of mouth. So you actually have a I would think you would have a better chance with an adoption agency um, or in the states where attorneys can do that as well, Georgia not being one of them, um, you know, going with a with an attorney or an adoption agency who has the right under the law to advertise and there is someone licensing them. Their license is at stake. You know, when I'm when I'm practicing law, if I if I choose to do something unethical which I wouldn't do, but if I were to do that, I'm looking at losing my license. If you have a facilitator who's not licensed and under no oversight by the government, they don't have anything to lose. They can just close up shop and open up under a different name. There's no right. one, there's no one um, making sure um, that they're doing, doing their job correctly. The other thing, too, uh, Bridget, is that I've had clients who have paid thousands of dollars for what I would have done for them for free. Um, right. You know, if you have a good adoption attorney and a good agency, they are going to do everything that, you know, the facilitator would do, um, you know, within the bounds of the law. Um, as we discussed in Georgia, you know, I'm not allowed to, to advertise for birth parents. But um, a lot of times... Uh, there's a lot of people out there not only facilitating but just offering to help help um, adoptive families to do a profile and talk to them about the process and things like that. And I see that uh, there's a lot of money exchanging hands for these things, and, and that frustrates me a little because if you haven't a good agency, a good attorney, they will hold or adoption hands. discovery or adoption <laughs> discovery exactly or adoption discovery. You know. We're doing these things either free or very affordable. Um, right. You don't need to pay thousands of dollars to get this information. We're providing it for you, and and that's why I'm thankful for Adoption Discovery. Well, thank you. I think that um, I didn't mean to pre-plug plug us there, but I think um, one of the, one of the reasons why we started this organization was because it was hard to know. It was almost like you needed a legal degree, um, you needed to, you know, there were so many things that you needed to stack up on before you went through the process, and it just seemed crazy to me that, you know, why can't this be made easier? Um, we, we will have in another podcast uh, information on how to interview an adoption agency and also how to interview an adoption attorney because we want you to feel comfortable with your choice of professional regardless of what that professional is, and I think that's important for people to have peace of mind in that, you know, you're about to spend some money if you're going to spend some money. I mean, if you're doing it through the state, you should still have a comfort level in your adoption professional, whether it's free, you've paid for that with your tax dollar. So you need to really have that that peace of mind and you need to ask all the right questions. People seem to fear 
asking questions of their professionals because they feel like they don't know enough to ask the questions or if they do have great questions that they may intimidate the professional and the professional won't want to work with them and that's not the case. I think with any transaction and unfortunately adoption is a business and it is a transaction, you've got to be able to get up there and ask some real questions and get real answers before you move forward because this is a big deal. This is a big process, you know, it's not something to be taken lightly. Right. So we hope to be able to do that. You, and, you, and, and I think adoptive families have to remember that the agency or the attorney or the facilitator is working for them. And they have exactly. a right to ask them questions. And if your professional is uncomfortable with questions, then perhaps that is not the professional you should be working with. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's a great note to end on. I really, really appreciate your time today. I hope that this has been helpful to our listeners, and I hope that it will help give them an extra sense of what a facilitator is and what they do and and what questions they might want to ask when they move forward. Um, We'll combine this with some other information that I think will be helpful to anyone trying to hire an adoption professional when they're out there on that initial search. But thank you so much, Julie, for your time today. Thank you, Bridget. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Join us for a life-changing experience. Just go to AdoptionDiscovery.org today for more information about how to make your adoption easier. Join like-minded people and learn about new and innovative ways to adopt. We look forward to celebrating adoption with you. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And please, share Adoption Discovery with everyone you know.